I like your um background. Thank you. I had to I get the uh the streamer look since uh since you know that's kind of the feel that my podcast does it on. <laughs> look yeah. Part, so know? what's your podcast about? Uh, so we are a um a content creation company called Good Kraken. Um, and we focus mainly on video game and other pop media news as far as like movies and television shows and stuff. And we essentially just uh, do reviews, discussions, uh, all sorts of different conversations around pop media and the things that we love about them. But we also have a secondary focus specifically on uh, uplifting and giving a platform to marginalized creators, uh, other Twitch streamers that are uh, BIPOC, LGBTQI2+, you know, all, all sorts of different marginalized groups that are a part of content creation that we try to give a platform to that's great yeah it's it's it that's rad. so great we we should talk about that right now the lgbt and the gaming community because that's a really mm -hmm. struggling group mm -hmm. um just it just even for me like playing any games i get kicked out of parties like no other oh dude um, it's awful it's awful like the toxicity mm -hmm. the, the the games industry and there's a lot of stuff going on right now too that is very unfortunate that uh there's there's just lots of boys club shit going on in the game the game industry right now that's just absurd between like the things going on between Activision Blizzard and like a few other companies that just have like workplace cultures with their executive people that are just like not being well taken care of you know it's it's absurd but thankfully we're going oh, in the wow. direction it's just taken a really long time you know yeah so you're saying like the um the actual workplace of the creators of the games like they even yeah. contribute yeah, so, to the yeah yeah so um, the the thing is is that uh for for example a lot of it comes down to sexual harassment um women that are in that are taking part in game development uh, the amount of women and femme passing people that are a part of video game development has drastically increased in the past decade uh, prior to what it was when video games first started kind of really getting popular and started taking off. And because of such is a lot of things that that older executives in the games industry, the game development industry specifically, have been getting away with for a really long time, that they're now in a position that they're still doing shitty things. And people are now at a point like our generation finding the space to be able to call them out on it and it's yeah they're now at a point where they're starting to be held accountable for the shitty things that these shitty people are doing so it's it's rad right. like like a there. me too movement inside the gaming community pretty much yes 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 exactly that's fascinating um i never really thought about it being like that like um like like saying like Tumblr or Facebook and those offices like the that being the rolling point for the gaming industry yeah. like you're saying like Activision and um like Ubisoft or any yeah. of them yeah exactly that that's the part that sucks the most is that these aren't small companies like these are really really big game development companies like Activision has been doing Call of Duty games forever uh blizzard is most popular for world of warcraft one of the biggest mmorpg games titles like ever in history um overwatch is a really big game now you know there's there's just mm -hmm. ubisoft even like assassin's creed is a major title amongst you know video game fans and it's just unfortunate that like these big major companies major publishing major development companies have just such a big stigma 
around men being men and and just getting yeah. away with shit, you know and, and and thankfully now we're at a point where it's like people are starting to get to where they need to be but we're not there yet where women are able to actually have a career in game development and feel safe doing so unfortunately yeah <laughs> well i think um there's a lot of things where like the video game world becomes a lot like the internet where you get this anonymity and you can just be cruel you can be a troll you you mm -hmm. know what i mean so it like really contributes to people being able to like outside of in the office structure kind of um messed up stuff but just in gameplay player on player gameplay yeah it just gets so brutal because you can you can get on a microphone and say whatever you want to somebody yeah. and it it's you know they have reporting systems and whatever but that it's kind of it only does so not much. really yeah <laughs> no yeah it does and people just get away with the the most cruel behavior towards other people and it it really breeds hate inside the community oh yeah not not even just for women but like a, a big talking point for us was uh first starting out was um uh, uh people of color in the game in the gaming industry have just been sort of shunned in a lot of like really low-key ways and for us giving a platform to marginalized creators was was a really big big goal for us going into good crack and starting this company and starting to do what we wanted to do because we noticed that like even though there's been a lot of people of color a lot of lgbtqi2 plus people that are fun platforms amongst content creation they're still suffering at the hands of things like twitch not having protection for these creators when they're streaming people can still bombard them in their chats and say racist sexist just terrible terrible fucking things in their chats and harass them actively and none of these people ever get a punishment for it because twitch doesn't care that much and even on youtube like youtube's been notorious for platform that allows like content creators to make videos put it on there if the right person sees it and they don't like that shit they'll have all their fucking friends go onto the comment and just bomb it and just completely eradicate any chance for this person to be taken seriously and it's it's terrible it's fucking terrible but that's why we yeah. have what we do because marginalized peoples have a responsibility of looking out for each other in every way shape and possible especially in an industry like this that is very much allocated towards you know cis middle-aged white men and and mm -hmm. how important that is because cis white middle-aged men kind of run the world generally speaking and even in the games industry it's a struggle because if you think about the kind of dudes that are notoriously like video game nerds you think like okay it's either you know just a normal looking dude or it's some guy sitting in his fucking grandma's basement and you know being a complete fucking loser and it's usually those guys that are an issue um just harassing people for little to no reason because they watched some fucking ben shapiro video on youtube and it was just you know all took off from there you know and so that's that's why we do what we do is essentially the idea to allow these creators a platform for them to speak on their struggles and talk a little bit about 
what it's like not just to be a content creator, but be, to be a content creator who was doing it regardless of the fact that like they could potentially face harassment, they could potentially face racism or sexism or or homophobia, what have you. You know, there's tons of different yeah. reasons why, you know, and, and we we felt like we needed to do it. So <laughs> Well, that's good. Yeah, I'm happy that you're doing it. And yeah, I totally get it. I mean, I create content as a trans woman. And, you know, I, <laughs> I face whatever comes my way, but I, I'm okay to face it. Mm -hmm. I, I can, you know, th I think that's something when you are somebody like me, you, you know, what's coming to you, like, you just know what's gonna happen, yeah. or whatever you, you get into parties on games, and, and you just know that, People are gonna think what they're gonna think, and um, I'm a, I'm an avid GTA player. I love GTA, yeah. and um, yeah. GTA Online is probably one of the most brutal um, yeah. online yeah. gaming atmospheres that you can get into. Even uh, being in a few like Facebook, you know, like GTA community groups, they're brutal. Just <laughs> like even on Facebook, yeah. it's a brutal place, and people are like, "Well, it's GTA. Like, what do you expect?" And um, I actually got to a point where I just play as a male character because like then nobody bothers me right. because if I'm just a male character, nobody asks questions, nobody gets into my messages, nobody says anything to me. And personally, I just stay out of um, stay out of like parties anyway. And in general, I just think that there's such a toxic place. And but yeah. I'm happy that companies like yours are working to clean that that kind of behavior up because it's not acceptable mm -hmm. yeah it's it's very much not you know and and i'm hoping that unfor unfortunately the reality is like we're never going to scrub this world out of these fucking assholes we're never going to be able to salt the earth enough for these assholes to get smoked out of the house but we can do the best that we possibly can to be able to allow marginalized people to be able to have a platform and feel relatively safe versus the amount of harassment they could potentially face you know i i hope i hope that we can lead ourselves into a world where you can safely yeah theft auto and not feel othered in any sort of way like that's that's where we want things to fucking be you know yeah i think it all comes back to just accountability and the the anonymity yeah. of the online world where you can create a username and go in and comment and just say whatever you want to people and yeah and yeah. nothing happens to you mm -hmm. i mean you you can do so much damage to the world and you don't have to face what you do so that's the tough part we're getting it's there. just the anonymity yeah yeah, yeah. yeah it's kind of like that south park episode that for the denmark um where they're yeah. like trying to <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> everybody's ip address goes back to them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well i mean to be fair yeah. a lot of what south park does is scary relatable so like <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I probably reference them a lot on this podcast um so let's 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 get into you and um your history because we oh, we sure. want to talk about what um the past that you have struggled with from childhood uh going into early adulthood yeah. and um just everything that has happened in between um so just starting off when you were really young you had an abusive uh dad alcoholic dad yeah um 
what was that like? What what was that experience like for you? So it was interesting, right? So my my mother and and father had a very uh strange relationship. So my so my mother actually ran away from the Philippines when she was 14 years old and uh snuck onto a naval ship and impersonated as a nurse on this uh ship for 3 years. And then she met my dad in Hawaii where the ship was docked at and they got married when she was 18 years old. Um <clears throat> my dad at the time I believe was I think 28, 30, somewhere around there, um, when they got married. And my father at the time, yes, he was very much an alcoholic. And when I was born, um, my mom and dad got divorced quite soon after I was born. Um, and so a lot of my relationship with my father was very off and on. Uh, even after I was born, my dad was just not really there very often. When he was, he was either drunk or coming to get me to take me to his house with his new wife and be drunk at home. And so a lot of a lot of the memories I have with my with my dad are very um, empty or like only partially existent uh, because I only really remember my dad in glimpses in a really weird way. Like I remember times that he asked me to grab him a beer out of the fridge. I remember times that he let me play Duck Hunt on Super Nintendo for the first time. Um, I remember him driving me on his motorcycle around the block one time. Uh, I remember a burger joint he took me to that, you know, got closed down, you know, when I was really young too, but it was like the one time he took me out to eat food or whatever. Um, but the the unfortunate really so he didn't engage did, with you much yeah because he he when they got divorced he was very um he was very gone and you know at first their agreement was he was going to come and see me every weekend and every weekend eventually turned into every other weekend and then every other weekend turned into every month and then every month turned into once every six months and then eventually it was just no more um and at that point my dad disappeared um, and left my mom to raise me and a bunch of my other cousins that I consider my siblings. Um, and so, uh, yeah, she, she raised us on her own. My dad was, the reason they got divorced because my dad was very abusive towards her. Um, being an alcoholic, being three times her size, he was like, what, fucking 6'5", like 280, big, big fucking dude. And yeah. my mom's a tiny woman. She's a tiny little thing, like five foot at the tallest, right? Um, he was just being very not okay with her. Um, you know, just would physically abuse her, sexually abuse her. And eventually, like, it got to the point where really she was just trying to keep me safe as, as her kid and eventually had to make the decision to say, like, this is no longer safe for him to be around. And so she forced a divorce between the two of them. They went through an entire divorce process and whatnot. And so my relationship with my dad kind of just funneled down from there. Um, and Were you I really in Oregon out at that time? No, so my family is actually uh, from Hawaii and from New Zealand. Uh, so we um, had a lot of a lot of traveling that we did, um, and so our at that point we were sort of in the middle of traveling. 
uh, we lived in Guam for a little while too. Uh, so there's, there was a lot that was going on when I was really, really young. Uh, basically up until I was about like, you know, six years old, we were traveling a lot. It was essentially the idea. Um, but yeah, our dad dipped out, never saw him again. Actually, no, we saw, we saw him like once, once every once in a while, uh, when we officially, finally, officially moved to the States, because we were here like off and on for a little while. Um, we finally officially moved here to Portland. Uh, he came along. That's when he met his, his new wife, got married, and then that's when he disappeared. Um, and I have not seen okay. him since. Um, and, really? Yeah, have not seen him since. I, we've had, uh, We've had, like, private investigator look for him. Like, I know where he's at. I just haven't bothered to go after him. Do you him. have words for him? See, that's that's the thing, uh, is that I could technically track him down. Um, I, By all means. A part of me struggles with that a whole lot because it's sort of this, this double-edged sword of if I did see him, I more than likely would not be very nice to him. Um, I have mm -hmm. struggled my entire rightfully so. Yeah, right. Like I've I've struggled already my entire life not having a father and spending a majority of my childhood, my younger years, being very angry and upset about that, and that affected me into my early adult years. And even just the thought of seeing him, I can just feel like in my mind that it would just not go very well. Because uh, a lot of it would just be like, why the fuck did you leave? You know, now, yeah. the other side of the sword for me is I like to say that I'm generally successful, relatively successful, not just financially, but emotionally. Um, and on a personal level, I feel successful. And as a dad, as someone with a business, mo a couple businesses, technically with my band, my freelance art and stuff. Like, in my full-time job, why does he deserve to meet his son that he abandoned that had to make something of himself is kind of where I fall into line for things. It's like, he doesn't deserve that, and I certainly don't deserve for him to pretend like he gives a fuck, so why even bother is kind of what I've gone down to, so. yeah. I relate to you a lot on that, on that, and uh, with the absent father, and and I think to myself, I'm like that motherfucker better not celebrate himself for Father's Day. Mm -hmm. I tell you that much. Mm -hmm. Like he better not, you mm -hmm. know, because yep. he doesn't. Yep. He, that's something you earn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 I'm kind of in just in a spot now. I'm 31, and I've already lived a good amount of life. I never needed him before. And I certainly don't fucking need them now while I'm 31. Um, I've done enough therapy now to know that I've moved away from my inability to forgive him for it and to just let it go, um, which was a lot of progress from, you know, being a kid and being just very upset that I didn't have a dad there to teach me how to play sports or teach me how to shave the beard I didn't grow until I was like 25. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's just... There's just a lot of variables, and for me, it was just like, I, I'd rather not. I, I have to focus on me being a dad, and me being a better dad than he was, and me being the father that I wish he would have been for my own kid. And that's more important to me than 
taking off that weight from my shoulders when I've been carrying it so long that I'm just used to it now. Now I've been able to go through enough therapy to not, not project those issues onto my own kid. Um, and my own, my own daughter and I have a very strong, and I've fostered that with her to make sure that she knows that I love her and I care about her. I have very strict guidelines on how I parent my child as far as I never lay a hand on my kid. I never raise my voice at my kid unless I feel that she's an adamant danger and she's not paying attention. I allow my kid to make mistakes and fuck up on things and risk the chance of maybe getting hurt a little bit so that she can experience what those things are like and learn that on her own. So there's a lot of things that I've instilled in my own life because of the absence of my father that a lot of times I feel like I would not have, I would not have thought of if he was around to teach me otherwise. Yeah, um, I think if he was around, all he would have done um, was what if, if I had to just like, for sure, for, like think like if he was around, if he was an abusive person, if he was mean, he probably would have uh, just sort of shed that off onto you, right? Almost like his absence um, being more of a blessing than. Um, a curse in very a sense much. yeah very much so i i feel very blessed in a lot of different ways that i had no dad rather than an abusive dad and i'm very fortunate for that in a lot of different ways you know i i i have friends that do or did have abusive fathers and for me it's just like i'm so fortunate to not have to have ever dealt with that in my life in a lot of different mm -hmm. ways like yeah it sucks like i didn't have a dad he didn't teach me how to, you know, shave my beard, play sports, all the good shit. But I taught it to my fucking self. I didn't need him to do that for me. You know, I learned how to do it on my own. Thankfully, one of my technically cousins who became my stepbrother later on, um, technically island lingo, it's hard to explain. Uh, <laughs> we're all siblings in a weird way. Um, my brother, Randy, uh, <clears throat> Me and him were very close growing up, and we sort of just treated each other like the men we needed as we went through school. As we got older, we were the ones teaching ourselves our interests, you know, so on and so forth. And I found um, a place of learning about manhood, like, vicariously through my brother and vice versa. And, you know, I'm very thankful I had that because there's not a lot of kids that have siblings or even people that they could consider siblings um, and also don't have a parent present in order to fill that spot for themselves. And so I, I am, I'm, I, I stack that gratitude all the time. I really do. Yeah, but during your childhood, your mother did have some partners that weren't the best. Yes, I had, uh, I had a stepfather specifically um not gonna name names because he you know that's not the point uh he uh he was very very physically not being okay to me specifically um and i think that was a lot of you know he was dating my mom and i was her kid and uh he, he was he was a big you know old school white guy and uh he was very just hammer of god about everything um and a lot of times that resulted in him you know 
trigger warning for anybody listening or watching or whatever, but that would, you know, that would result in him typically backhanding me in the face or throwing me against the wall or hitting me with a belt or something like that. And did he ever do the thing where they grab you by the arm like really hard and like get nose to nose with you and kind of yell in your yeah, face? Yeah, he would. He know. would certainly do things like that. One one of the most prominent memories that I have, uh, actually two, was one I had one grade that I missed in the class in middle school, and he picked me up from school, yelled at me, and just gave me a backhand right in the center of my face while I was sitting in the passenger seat. And my nose started bleeding. He threw a tissue at me. He said, clean myself up. And uh, when we got on, the thing is, is my mom didn't know any of this was happening. He was only ever doing it when my mother wasn't home because she was working two jobs to support us or in his truck when he was picking up or taking me to school. And a lot of it kind of just fell down to him trying to justify it because I was being a bad kid. And now, like, in my older age, to, for me, in my perspective, was just like, he's old school and was a complete shithead. His parents probably did the same fucking thing to him because he was an old, old school guy. And his perception of being a bad kid was just me doing shit that kids fucking do. <laughs> and unfortunately, people yeah. in that generation can't fucking comprehend kids doing things that kids fucking do. And so um, a lot of it, yeah, resulted in, in, in me, unfortunately, just having to um, face the wrath of fucking God in that in that sense. But my mom did find out because I, I went to school one day. And I had, a, I had an English teacher named Mr. Topolsky, uh, who was one of these sweetest fucking human beings on the planet. He was the one that got me into reading, um, being very interested in it. And there's one specific day I had gone to class and he could see that I had bruises on my arms, like very large bruises on my arms. From um, like grabbing. And right. From grabbing. Yeah. From grabbing, from throwing, just grabbing me by my arm and like... And he called the office. The office got a hold of Child Protective Services. They had to come take me out of class. I was crying. I was upset. Afterwards, they, they told me that I had to have someone come and pick me up. And my mom came and picked me up. And uh, as I'm waiting outside for my mom to come get me, uh, Mr. Topolsky came outside. I was like, hey, I know things are really hard at home right now. I wanted to see if you'd like to come out and just pick out a book out of the classroom. You can have it. Any book that you'd like, I want you to have. So, okay, cool. I go into the class. I'm a mess. I'm like, <laughs> like just post, post crying after like crying for like two hours because I had no, no fucking idea what was going on. Um, but I picked out the Lord of the Rings. And at a very, very young age, I fell in love with Lord of the Rings. And the Lord of the Rings book series was sort of my saving grace at a very, very young age. If I was not playing video games, I was reading Lord of the Rings. Um, and because of him, I got dove into that. He gave me the second book. And then the third book, he let me borrow. When I was finished with that, he gave it back to me. I gave it back to him. He gave me the Silmarillion. And he gave me the Hobbit, what have you. And everything went uh -huh. down in history. And now I'm just a fucking diehard Lord of the Rings fan. And... um. Yeah, and, and the, the big thing about the whole cycle that happened with my mom's ex-boyfriend, this guy, uh, is that I was able to find the things as a kid that, that are now my interests in adulthood. Um, 
that were my saving graces amongst the chaos that was my life as a child. Um, I was caught yeah. up in a lot of really bad kids. Uh, I was I was caught up with a bunch of friends that had families that were involved with biker gangs. And I was caught up in bullshit like that. And uh, my my stepmom's boyfriend at the time, <laughs> um, he, he anytime that he was physical with me, I would dive my head into a video game. And if I didn't want to dive my head into a video game, I dove my head into a book, specifically Lord of the Rings. And all the way through for the rest of my life, even up to now, video games and reading or movies or TV shows are the things that make me feel safe. Um, and I'm not afraid to admit that. You know, like I have yeah, many, many conversations with partners uh, that, I, that I end up dating at some point or another in my life that I've had to express, like, I am a video game guy. And if that's not something that you're okay with, then we don't have to do this. You know, just letting you know, mm -hmm. this is what my interest is. I will have video games in my life because the only thing that make me feel legitimately safe. And that is important to me. And same thing with reading, same thing with watching movies, so on and so forth. Um, so I'm yeah, the same way. he was, he was I'm very good. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you were able to find that. Yes. It's it's uh, video games were my escapism during tough times, and I still rough day at work straight to video games. <laughs> so yeah, no, I'm totally the same. Thousand fucking percent, like that's. And I I feel like a lot of it is getting lost in the fantasy of it. It's getting lost in in someone else's story. That whether or not it's real. You know, it's someone else's story and we get to, during this temporary amount of time, get lost in the story that isn't real and pretend that we're a part of it. And in yeah. the midst of my ex just being a complete fucking barbarian, an absolute fucking troglodyte, um, I was able to find something that made me feel alive, that made me feel real, that made me feel important. And that was honestly, probably one of the best things that ever happened to me at that young age. Aside from, you know, I had some friends that introduced me to a lot of things that are very important in my life too. Um, but I think, I think that was kind of the, the silver lining in that guy being a part of my life in the way that he was, it was just like, yeah, he was absolute fucking piece of shit. Fortunately, I got something out of it <laughs> in a in a very weird yeah way. I think any any time we go through something bad, we can pull something good out of it, and it it might just mm -hmm. be what the um what the optimistic mind will do. It's like, oh, this is horrible, but what can I gain? Right. And in general, the people who deal with the hardest stuff become the strongest people. Mm -hmm. But circling back to video games being this safety place for people who deal with hard times, it really goes on to like how important it is that it's safe. It's a safe environment for people because people have a hard life. They go to video games and they're like, I need to escape in this fantasy world, but they're also bullied in this fantasy world yep. too. So, you know what I mean? It's like... And it's, this is a new thing. Mm -hmm. And that's why it fucking sucks so much, because you're supposed to feel safe. You're supposed to feel yes. love out of this experience that is video games and, like, the, this fan 
fantasy world that we go to to feel better about it should be so uniting yeah it's supposed to be and these fucking scrubs are making it worse for everybody i don't know (laughs) yeah it's hard i mean everything it just there's not um like that's kind of like why i like gta heist because there it's like the one uh form of gameplay where you kind of have to work together Mm -hmm. but it's so adversarial anymore everything is just everybody against everybody i think that that contributes as well just the gameplay itself it we're pinned against each other instead of you know coming together yeah which is which is you know in a lot of different ways in a lot of different environments would actually be great because you have competitiveness and competitiveness breeds you know way mental capacity to be able to be competitive in a very healthy way and unfortunately games like gta sort of have that have the sort of like no bars hold back sort of thing where you can literally just do whatever the fuck you want in that game games like grand theft auto red dead redemption you know like games that are open world like you can do whatever the fuck you want sort of allows people like that to do whatever the fuck they want and those are not good things <laughs> you know and that, yeah and especially with gta specifically because i know it has like proximity audio where like when you're near somebody they can hear your voice so on and so forth you know short of being in like an rpg like a role-playing uh server you're fucked if you like say anything and you're a woman or a femme presenting person or like anything of the sort and then god forbid some fucking tool bag is on the other end of of your microphone thinking oh fuck women and then now women don't feel good you know they find out that the person they're talking yeah. to is black and now that black kid doesn't feel good you know it and that's not the world it's supposed to fucking be well women get sexualized a lot in the gaming mm-hmm. world um you know when when i played like female characters you just get like all these like dirty messages in your inbox and it's just like it's yeah. it's weird it's really strange gross. um gross yeah yeah and well and it's just hard it's discouraging it doesn't make women want to be a part of it or they play as male characters and they just like um i i don't know it's like they have to you know put on put a hood on their face or like i think of like um you know just being in some foreign territory where you have to blend in with everybody else, you know, like blend in with the crowd and look like you're one of them and don't let them, you know, see that you're you're not. Otherwise, you're going to get all this negative attention and that and it shouldn't be that way. Yeah. Now, yeah. big facts, big fucking facts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, going back to um, you, you had to deal with the bad partners i really liked what you said about your teacher too that like made me feel so warm about the teacher who was who came in yeah seriously like if it wasn't for him like i don't even know like where i'd be as far as like really grasping the concept of nerdism you know quote unquote Mm -hmm. like if it wasn't him and it wasn't for like my close childhood friend nick um getting me into like magic the gathering and like pokemon cards things like that um if it wasn't for these two people specifically in my life 
pushing me in those directions and finding those recreational things. I honestly don't know where the fuck I'd be right now <laughs> at 31 yeah. years old and like, you know. <laughs> well, and when we talk about the the things that we can do in life that just make little things, because he didn't do that much. Like if you think about what he did on a, you know, he didn't like buy you a car or something. He just gave you books or let you borrow books, you know, like the, you think about the small things that you can do for somebody that completely changes the trajectory of their life for better or worse, really, obviously in this case it was for better, but, um, I just, I really like that message. I really like that the way that you can change somebody's life just by doing little things or showing passion that you care about people. Um, so yeah, that just, that, like, I don't know, it made me so happy to hear about this teacher that, that changed your life. Little things matter, dude. Little things really, really matter. And, and I feel like a lot of people don't really think about that in the forefront of their mind. You know, the, the tiny, 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 tiny little things that you do for other people are maybe insignificant to you, but can really make so much of a difference for a person who is feeling othered or feeling out of place or feeling uncomfortable in their own skin, you know, literally as simple as just inviting your friend over to hang out, you know, making someone food. Like if, you know, like there's so many, like go down the fucking list. Yeah. There's so many things that we can do for the people around us. A lot that of feel people. Little tops. Go ahead, a lot of go people ahead. think they think that th what they do doesn't make a difference. And that that kind of gets to me, you know. A yeah. lot of people think that they're like, "What's the point? Nothing I do makes a difference." I'm like, "Yes, it does. It does make a difference. It makes a mm -hmm. big difference." Always. Those, yeah, and it's small Always. things too. Mm -hmm. You know, buying people little gifts or whatever, like showing somebody that you care about them makes them feel cared about. And it changes their world, even if it's small. Yeah. So, even, yeah. Even, even throwing the pebble in the water makes the water ripple. And I think that's the big part that people fail to, like, like, really understand and comprehend in, like, the forefront of their mind. You know, they, they think it's, it's, it's insignificant. It probably doesn't have any weight. But it's like those ripples are what people look for. Because nobody's looking for someone to solve their problems. I mean, like, unless someone hands me $500,000, and yeah, I'll accept. But like, <laughs> but <laughs> right. I'm not looking. <laughs> yeah, a lot of my issues would be solved. But I'm not looking for someone to solve all my problems. I'm looking for someone who cares enough to just do little things to help me feel like I'm living a relatively normal fucking life. And that's all that matters to me. You know, and I hope that ma that's all that matters to you, anybody else, realistically, because it's like I, I own my shit. I'm totally fine with me living my life the way I need to live my life. But sometimes we don't feel like we're living our fucking life in a good way. And all it takes is the one person making you a fucking cupcake because you haven't cooked in five days because you're feeling under, you know. That's all it fucking takes to feel better. And people don't think about that sort of thing. They think in absolutes. Yeah. But that person that made you a cupcake, they go, you know, I made her know a cupcake. And I don't think it made a bit of a difference because they may not know what it 
what it really did for you. Mm-hmm. So people are looking for that gratification when they throw the pebble and they make the ripples, but they don't see the aftermath. Therefore, they think nothing happened. And it's like you just have to have faith. You just yeah. have to – and you can do good things for people. And maybe that thing didn't make a difference, but it's not the point. It's the point that you did it. You know, It's the point that like you do good things for the world – and whether it's reciprocated or not, the fact is you did it. And that is intangible. Like, that is never going to change. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the unfortunate reality, too, and I'm going to get a little bit psychology nerdy here because that was sort of my first passion going into college, was uh, the, the unfortunate reality is the people that hesitate to throw the pebble in the water usually hesitate because someone told them they shouldn't throw the pebble in the water. They were taught that throwing the pebble in the water is useless and doesn't hold any weight. And it's actually ineffective towards the thing, towards showing empathy. And unfortunately, it's, it's a cycle, you know, like people hesitate to do things because someone at some point prior to that moment had taught them that they should not do that. And this is like why it's so important for people to understand that like we all have a responsibility to represent these little things in little ways and to love freely in in every capacity that you possibly can because you don't know the lessons you're teaching other people by hesitating. And hesitancy only breeds more hesitancy like if you hesitate to show love, you hesitate to tell the people you love that you love them, they will continue to hesitate because they felt that they were doing something wrong. And then they will teach someone else that it's wrong to do that. And then that person will teach someone else, so on and so forth. And it's, you know, we have to break that cycle as cheesy as that sounds. We have to break that cycle in order for us to ever expect this world to become a more empathetic and better place, generally speaking. Yeah, yeah. And you can tell, too, because if you are generous and you give, people think that you have, like, some weird ulterior motive, that maybe you want something from them. Like, Mm -hmm. authentic generosity and, like, just authentic empathy it's a hard thing to to show in this world to demonstrate for people but you can lead by example and you know tip heavily and buy the dinner for the people next to you pay for the food for the people behind you in the drive through even if they're in a brand new mercedes still buy their food it doesn't matter if they're not struggling you're giving them hope you're not giving them your money yeah you're giving them generosity and kindness it's not about that this whole like um to each their own and we all like fight for ourselves and a dog eat dog like you know like it's that's not true <laughs> it's yeah, all just like yeah. horrible concepts that have just gotten put into everybody's minds but it's not true yeah it's, cynicism is unfortunately very infectious with people because people hu- human beings have a very weird habit of loving to live in negativity um and because that negativity sort of makes them feel validated in their own negative thoughts and it's it sucks it fucking sucks one uh but two it's it's just you know the complete opposite of tearing apart that loop getting out of that that echo chamber getting out of that cycle of just 
breeding bullshit over and over again you know like we're full of shit so we teach our kids to be full of shit and they teach their kids to be full of shit and you know it's just a prime example of where humans are fucking up from day one because cynicism is just poisonous to the human fucking brain but unfortunately the reality is it's like a lot of times our cynicism isn't our fault the difference is we have the the different the thing that separates us from animal is that we have the ability to make a conscious decision that that's not good enough for us anymore. That cynicism isn't benefiting us. And I'm sure we'll talk about it later because I have a lot of like rules that I've applied in my life that help me towards stuff like this. But like it's eventually you have to make the decision of whether or not you enjoy living like that and feeling like that and thinking like that, or that it's not serving you. And you eventually get out of that habit, that get out of that mindset that everything and everyone is out to get you. And you eventually make the conscious decision to just move away from that thought process. Hopefully. (laughs) Yes. Well, the thing is, is what people don't understand, too, is that like kindness is way more infectious than people think. Yeah. Because if if you're kind, like it really spreads out like it just makes people feel good and you feel good. And it's way more euphoric than Mm -hmm going out for yourself and doing things for yourself when, when you really start to enjoy doing things for others just because you want to do things for others it's like i'm to a point i can't get enough of it i'm like yeah. how much of my paycheck can i give away you know right. it's right. like a certain percent of my paycheck it's just going towards you know sending people cash app money buying dinners for people like just anything i can do to spread hope and to show people that love is way better than selfishness. Yeah. Cause it's easy to yeah. be selfish. We're in oh, yeah. this consumerism world, you know, buy it for me, do it for me. Like we're Christmas for ourselves every day, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, I like, I, I get where you're coming from is, yeah, I mean, human humans want wholesomeness so much and we can see it all the time like we see the popularity of videos on tiktok that go wild because some dude bought mcdonald's for a homeless guy you know like you know people like there's a big tiktok trend right now going on where it's like people having donations from their audience given to them and then they give it to a server at a restaurant who did a phenomenal job in, in serving them. And it's awesome. Like, like I'm happy that these things are blowing yeah. up. You need that wholesomeness. I just think the level of cynicism that it takes to defy that, to push away is just so illogical in, in, in so many facets that it's just, it's uncomprehendable to me that there's people in this world that are so cynical and so jaded and, and, and so just caught up in like the heat of their own emotion in that moment that they would rather push away happiness and push away the happiness for others in order for them to feel validated. And, and that's where we start talking majorly about slippery slope stuff and whatnot, but I don't want to derail, you know? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Could you just give like one example of what that would be, though, where cynicism is overriding? I would I would say like you you could you have to watch it with your friends because it's more common than I think like you and I are even sort of letting it off to 
be. Cynicism is really easy. Like you said earlier, selfishness is easy. Cynicism is easy. Jadedness is easy. Like it, the, the reality is that humans have, because of hesitancy and because of self-defense, because a majority of humans are not rich. So we've lived in scarcity a majority of our lives, all of us. Like, if you're not part of the 1%, you're part of this. It's because a majority mm -hmm. of humans have lived in scarcity a majority of their lives. They have had to learn ways in their mind to protect themselves, to protect their emotions, to protect their their physical being, to protect how they feel about things. And, you know, that and that and scarcity is not just being poor. Scarcity is not having love. Scarcity is not having a father. Scarcity is is not having friends at school because you get picked on every day. You know, there's there's so many different forms of scarcity, but scarcity only breeds protectiveness. And as humans, we teach ourselves how to protect our own feelings through survival mechanisms, right? Everyone knows that. It's either fight or flight. And so a part of that fight or flight is cynicism. A version of protectiveness, a version of self-defense is cynicism because it's easy for us to feel better by pushing away happiness that feels unsafe and unreliable because the because happiness and love was never there for these people. They would rather be cynical. They'd rather be negative. They'd rather be unhappy because being unhappy is where they felt safe for the past 30 years of their lives, you know, and, and unfortunately, like we were saying earlier, that is what breeds that cycle of bullshit. That's exactly where that, that process starts because this person did not feel love at an age in which they needed to feel love. And now they will teach other people around them through purposeful, purposefully teaching other people around them or not. They are teaching people around them, their own family, their own friends, their own children day that it's okay to be cynical because that's better than getting your heart broken that's better than having your trust broken by somebody and i get it i totally get it i totally understand we all know what it feels like to lose trust to lose love to feel betrayed and that you can't trust things anymore but you have you have to find it in in your mind the space to say it doesn't make logical sense for me to sit in this it doesn't and that's why i went to therapy because i spent so much of my life feeling so resentful and and upset that people didn't understand why i was upset and mental illness is allowing yourself to feed yourself the same narrative over and over and over and over again, even if that narrative doesn't make logical sense, because it doesn't make logical sense to slap yourself in the face five times in a row and then say, ah, I didn't punish myself enough. So you slap yourself in the face 10 more times. It doesn't make sense to do those things. It's not healthy to do those things. And that's why we go to things like therapy. So someone can teach us, hey, you deserve better than you fucking think you do. And the people around you deserve better than what you think they do. And it's okay to be upset, but you don't need to fucking hold your own weight down like that. And you, and because when you do, 
you allow yourself to feed yourself more of a narrative that says, I deserve this, I deserve this, I deserve this, and then you never escape it for the rest of your fucking life. And, and you get to a point where you never fully comprehend why nobody in, in their right minds wants to help you anymore because you're constantly not helping yourself. And I know that sounds very brash, and that's obviously very generalized as well, too. But there comes a point yeah. in everyone's life where the cynicism, the negativity, the unhappiness, the, the not feeling safe has to change. And the only person that can change it is you. It's you. You know, it is, it is yourself. It is the narrative you're giving yourself. It is the story you're telling yourself and the story telling other people because you're telling it to yourself. That's the only way you're going to be able to break out of that cycle. Yeah. Were you stuck in that cycle yourself? I was. Before? Yeah, I was. I, I spent a really long time in my life being very, very, very resentful. Like I said earlier, I was, I was very... What would that look like for you, though? I mean, it just like in general, fighting. Um, I got into a lot of fights as a kid. I got into a lot of drug usage and stuff when I was a kid. That was, you know, like obviously recreational. I did, you know, not do any serious major fucking things. But I got caught up in a lot of stuff when I was younger. That that I did as a means to punish myself and punish my family because it made me feel better to live recklessly and live angrily than it was to be happy. And that was reflective on the friends that I was creating, the people that I was hanging out with, the relationship I had with my mother, the relationship I had with my siblings. It was affecting everything around me in my life. And it continued to affect me up until I was about 23, 24 years old. Um, and that was a turning point for you. Yeah. Was so, there an event that created this turning point or just yeah, you know, your so, mindset changed? So I had a situation with uh with my daughter's mom, uh, where we were in a very, very rigid relationship. And I'm I'm willing to openly admit this too, because her and I are very civil now. We're wonderful now. We have a great relationship, we're great co-parents. That's uh, good to hear. Yeah. Thing, I'm again blessings. <laughs> like, like I'm very fortunate. <laughs> I, I, I have a co-parent that I have a good relationship with because some people fucking don't. Um, yes, that doesn't I, exist. Oh yeah, I know, right? Um, we we had a, a time where we started going to couples therapy, and I had gone to therapy before, but I struggled finding a therapist that I felt I could connect to. Um, on a level and thankfully I started doing couples therapy at a point where I was past college past my interest in social psychology behavioral psychology and past mostly my angst right my teen angst that most of us mm -hmm. have were peak angry peak shitty peak doing shitty things and uh, yeah so 23 24 is really the age where you're like okay what am i gonna do for the rest of my life is kind of like yeah, where your mentality yeah. starts to go mm -hmm. i got all my i got all my partying out of the way all that shit was done i was tired i was beat up i was like, i'm ready to just kind of have a relatively normal fucking life right and for me it was doing this couples therapy i met our therapist our counselor and her name was tina and she 
in the midst of our couples therapy stuff, we had a lot of butting heads, a lot of things that just weren't getting solved and whatnot. And when our relationship ended, I went back to Tina for solo therapy. Um, and Tina sort of helped me f- figure out that a lot of the issues that I, that I was having in my relationship with my mother's daughter, was not just her fault because it's never j- just one person's fault. A lot of it was on me and it was on my shoulders and the way that I was interacting with her. And so my, what I've had found out was that my resentment that I had for a majority of my life, the bad decisions I was making for a majority of my life was coming from a sense of feeling like I was confident enough in my own skin that I was able to make bad decisions and that I would just continue to fix them as I went and just say, Oh yeah, do it. And I'll figure it out later. And my, my life was a constant cycle of just fuck it YOLO. Like, let's go, let's fucking do it. And I was just doing shit that wasn't making any sense. And that, that was pushing me in, in, you know, in a lifestyle that was, reckless and dangerous i was i was drinking too much not a lot of traction in that kind of life oh no not at all not at all i was i was drinking too much i was i was promiscuous in one relationship that was just a huge not fucking okay thing that happened in my life i made dumbass decisions about that i was i was just not treating my friends very good at the age of 21 22 23 like i had a lot of things that i was just stumbling on and I was stumbling and stumbling and I was blaming everybody else for my stumbling except for my fucking self. And going to... I'm happy that you said that. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of people can come... Not a lot of people come out of that mindset blaming the world for their problems. Usually they blame the world for the rest of their lives. They never internalize those thoughts. So I'm really happy that you said that. That actually gives me hope that there are people that can change that mindset yeah. Stop blaming the world and look at themselves and take some accountability Ex- for what they're doing. Exactly. Accountability. That was that was the thing that rang true for me. Because for me, it was it was going to my therapist, going to Tina and saying, I'm desperate for my life to get better. And she's like, Well, in order for us to find out how to make it better, we have to find out what's wrong first. And so we sat down, she dug into my brain, found out I told her, poured my fucking heart out with my history week after week after week and it got to the point where eventually we found out that there was a lot of issues I was having that that I was just not holding myself accountable for because I felt like I deserved to be unhappy I felt like I deserved to be punished to live a reckless life and to put myself in harm's way in a lot of different ways um and I was okay with it and I allowed myself to be fucking okay with it. I allowed myself to be transactional in my relationships with the people around me and that was only causing me to suffer in every facet that i possibly could and then we started digging into why even deeper and a lot of it came down to my my dad being gone a lot of it came down to my mother being an immigrant so there's a lot of things that she was very old school about because she came from a foreign country that, you know, there were some things that were okay there that are not okay here. Um, because, you know, when you're an immigrant, you don't have anyone in your life to teach you that that's not okay because everyone there believes it's okay, you know? And so there are things like that. And then in high school, I went through an unfortunate, unfortunate sexual assault at the age of 16. I had, you know, friendships that I had tarnished 
yeah, no, it's okay. I I appreciate you. I appreciate you. And and I'm okay with diving into it at, at some point or another. I'm totally fine with that. It's just finding out that there was a multitude of things because it's never one thing. People think it's one thing. It's never one fucking thing. It was a stack of many, many unfortunate fucking things that happened to me over the course of my lifetime that created this fucking thing <laughs> that I was at the age of 24. Yeah. Um, well, you never had a real healthy way of, I mean, the only real help that you got up to that point was books from your teacher. That was like, other than that, you never yeah. really had a, an outlet, yeah. a genuine, true mm -hmm. way to process it. And it's mm -hmm. a lot that you had to process. Yeah. Well, and, and, and the thing is too, is like, I tried so many other things. Like the only thing that I was able to find that was able to give me a similar feeling that that video games and books gave me was sports. But after school and getting injured and losing a bunch of scholarships that I had for rugby and football, I know sports were no longer an option, right? I was busted up. My knee was fucked up. I was broken, messed up in those days. And I was moving past it. But I think that also was another part too. And I think, I don't think me and Tina really like touched on that because it wasn't quite as pivotal as these other things. But me feeling like I lost a big important part of my life being an athlete um, definitely affected me a whole lot too. You know, so it, again, it's it's layers. It's layer upon layer upon layer. So that you, yeah, this ther the therapy and learning to take accountability, that was the, the real event of your pivot your transition from reckless life to now yeah what you're doing yeah so therapy was the big turning point my having my daughter was the capitalization on it so i started going going to therapy my daughter's mom and i we before we had her we had broken up and we spent about six months apart we tried getting back together to see if it'd work out and we got back together and we found out we were pregnant. And when we found out we were pregnant, when she told me about it, I cried. I cried like a fucking baby. Uh, <laughs> but oh, I, yeah. Yeah, right, right. Uh, I found out we were pregnant. And that night I had to start reevaluating. Because for me, I was like, I'm a dad now. I'm going to be a dad. And that means now I have the opportunity to be a better father than my dad was to me. And I owe it to myself and to my child to make sure that fucking happens. So I quit my shitty job. I cut out the shitty people in my fucking life. I, I kicked out two roommates that we were living with. Be we like I totally burned the, those bridges because I was like your ass get out of here right and so like I was totally fine mm -hmm. with just completely wrecking shop burn the building to the ground and let's rebuild it into a fucking mansion instead and I was totally fine with that because it for me it meant making sure that the next 18 years of my life are going to be dedicated towards my daughter being safe and me feeling fulfilled by doing that. And so having finding out that we were going to have a kid was me taking everything that I had learned in therapy for the, the time prior and saying, okay, like this is when I need to apply these things because I cannot allow my child in the near future in nine months now, eight months technically, in eight months to 
be instilled with the bullshit that I've been feeding myself for the past 25 years. Like I have to make the change now, you know? So I did. And so mm-hmm. I, I did everything that I possibly fucking could. And I used my unborn child at the time to be my, my reason to finally just say, look, like I can't fucking do this anymore. I can't have to be fucking better because now there's a little tiny version of me that is going to be dependent <laughs> on me not fucking up anymore. So I need to not fuck up anymore. And, and that, you know, she, in a lot of ways, and I know again, it sounds super cheesy, but she saved my fucking life. She did because I don't, I don't know. I have no fucking clue where I'd be at fucking 31 years old. If I didn't have my daughter there to like, give me a reason to live a life of fulfillment rather than a life of just mediocrity, you know, not to say that mediocrity is bad because it's not mediocrity is fine for a lot of people, but I wanted more and I continued to want more. And now like for me, it's, I shape my entire life around making sure my daughter learns healthy lessons and establishing my own life so that I can ensure her being taken care of down the road. You know, I invest money. I have invested money in two businesses now. I'm investing time towards working a job that I can't fucking stand, honestly, to make sure that I have the oh, money no. to make these investments. It's not that bad. It's really not. I just, I, I have a weird frame of mind where I, I can't stay in one job for too long before I'm just kind of like, ah, God, I'm so fucking sick of this. Uh, <laughs> but it's not that bad. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's fine. But, but it's paying for my investments that I'm making now in order for me to find success later on. And yeah, it's like not, it's a, not a means to an end yeah. or however that phrase goes. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Correct. And so, uh, but yeah, it was, it was, very much so the combination of therapy first to move me in that direction. And then finding out I was going to be a father pushed me off the edge. Where it's like, all right, you got to fucking figure it out now, dude. And I was like, okay, Jesus, take the wheel. And so like, I just basically like said, fuck it. Yeah. We got to start taking care of it. So do you think the the fatherly instinct or the parental instinct, that's um, something that you establish or it's something that you're born with? Because um, there seems to be two type of people. There's the type who would, um, you know, like go to the ends of the world for their kid. And then there are the kinds that will just fade away from their kid. So all behavior is learned, unfortunately. Um it, there, there are people that that find fulfillment in being a better, being being the best parent they possibly can be, and then there's some people, mm-hmm. some parents specifically that don't find fulfillment in that at all, and neither are you know objectively right or wrong. The difference is that it's much easier to be just a not very good person when you're the parent that doesn't find fulfillment in taking care of your child to the best of their extent. Um, But like I said, all all behavior is learned. So unfortunately, the people that are like that aren't just born with it. They too have been in a position in which they were taught that being a parent isn't the most important thing in the midst of being a parent. And I mean, I, I have a couple of friends. I even have a couple of ex-partners that have um, that have parent 
cetera, that had their children at a very young age, for example, um, and they resent their children for taking away their childhood. Um, and that has oh, caused okay. them as adults now to treat their kids like shit because they blame their kids for them not having the life that they wanted. Yeah, speaking of accountability, though, mm -hmm. <laughs> Jesus, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's rough. Because um, I, I was on the same boat as you, whereas, like, I wanted to be a good parent for my daughter to, like, validate that I can do it because my parents weren't good parents. Yeah. So, like, I needed that. I needed to show, like, myself mostly that, like, no, you can be a good parent. And, and um, you know, she, my daughter passed away, unfortunately, but, mm -hmm. like, I would have gone to the ends of the world for her no matter what. And, and for as long as she was alive, I did. Um, obviously, I could only go so far. But I'm um, sorry, by no. the way. Much love. <laughs> Thank you. you. Seriously. It's tough. It's it's been five years. I mean, since two thousand I well, I was twenty one yeah. and I'm gonna be twenty seven. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's a long time. Approximately. Yeah. yeah it's like January thirty first, two thousand sixteen is, is when she passed. Mm -hmm. She'll be six this year. So yeah, it's definitely tough, but it, it anything gets easier with time, of course. I mean, not much that can be done. Um, can I ask you something? But yeah, do you do you feel like your passion for wanting to be the best parent that you could followed even after you had had unfortunately lost your child? Do you feel like you still have that? that drive to want to just be the best person you can be did you carry that with yeah. you yeah i think the world kind of has become my kid in that sense mm -hmm. whereas i want to just like be good for the world um i mean there was a lot that changed after she passed but in her lifetime i think like i got that i got the validation that i needed um, and I just like, I accepted that it was just like, I understood that I, I did what I said I was going to do yeah. and I was there for her, for her in her life. And like, I accomplished that. Mm -hmm. So, um, where it's translated in her passing has just gone towards like, yeah, me just like wanting to be the best for the world and and that also kind of just comes out of like my own depression and and things like that where i just think about my legacy you know because yeah. I, I don't want people to think oh lauren she's the the person who lost her daughter and then went through a gender transition and then became depressed and now she's you know dead or whatever like yeah no. i don't want my life to be a story of a tragedy i want it to be a story of this woman changed the world and did great things for the world, you know? Yes. yes. <laughs> Thank you. That's good for you. Yes. Yes. That's, that's where you want to, be, you know, like you, you, it's, it's easy as fuck to decide that tragedy is going to be the reason that you're going to stop trying. It's hard to continue to want to do the good thing, to do the right thing, 
to continue to search for fulfillment regardless of tragedy. And the hard decisions are the ones that lead us to the most success in, in every facet. It's well, any positivity is hard because you're in a world of darkness as it is. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's always hard to shine bright in a very dark world. Like, yeah, it's, it takes a lot of energy. Mm -hmm. Um, but like I've hit the epitome of darkness. Like I've, been you know face to face with the devil after being so angry for my loss for everything that i had gone through and i i've surpassed that darkness and i'm like i don't need it i just want light you know i just want what's good yeah um it's kind of hard to to explain it because a lot of people they just they don't understand how i could or they don't it feels like they don't believe me is kind of what i get out of it i'm like how could they believe me like i would have to be full of shit like how do you yeah how do you go through such a suffering like complete whatever and and not just you would have to either have not cared about your daughter to begin with is what people would think or you're faking it but i'm not yeah I'm I'm not like I'm I'm going through all my own um strides to move forward and and be positive and get past it but it's always going to be there and I generally I don't bring it up you just kind of get that pity thing going or people think that I'm a pity monger or that I like um, that negative attention. I like to live in, in that negativity. Like that's me, you know, and and it's not, (laughs) no, I'm, I'm, I, I choose to surge forward. And that's what I say to people who are facing like suicidal thoughts or severe depression is just kind of like, well, is that what you want your legacy to be? Mm Mm-hmm. You want people to remember you as just the sad person who couldn't do it anymore or, you know, the heroic person who overcame and did great things despite what you were kind of destined for in a sense. Right. Yeah. Breaking, breaking away from it. I'm glad you did. I'm seriously glad you did. Mm -hmm. Good for you. It it took strides. (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. It's not easy. It takes time. <laughs> it takes time. I get it. Yeah. You have to embrace that darkness, too. And I think that um, the darkness is a gift in of itself. Um, because when you're living life, you're on this course. Like, you have your peaks and your valleys. And, you know, you have bad days and good days. And But the people who go really deep down those valleys, like, way deep or way high up, like they're living life in a way that people with just little peaks and valleys or alcohol problems or things like that, they get drunk, they're numb all the time anyway. Um, They don't experience it to the extent that those who suffer through tragedy have experienced it. And it's like when people are down in those valleys, they think that valley is forever. They think that's it. I'm, I'm down here. Never, it's never gonna get better, and they don't even give themselves the time to get up, or they don't um, believe that they can go up from where they are. And I had to ask myself, am I going to make it? 
am I going to be okay? Because I'm like, statistically, I'm gonna be a, I'm gonna be a bum. I'm gonna be a alcoholic, a drug addict. I'm going to kill myself. I'm not going to do good. Yeah. And luckily, I had the right amount of support. I had the right amount of opportunities, and I was able to pull through and and make my life better and continue to make it better and better and better. And then now that I'm at that point, it's like, I'm so good. How can I begin to help others and thus spawn this podcast? And I make enough money to where like I can help others and inspire people and just do things that I know are going to make a positive effect on the world. Well, I'm glad you're here. I'm fucking glad. You're here. Thank you. Seriously, I tell that to everybody. Yeah, I'm glad you're here too. Yeah, I, I am. I am. It's fun to be here too. It's fun to do this. I like doing this. Yes, <laughs> it's fun. It you know, it's worth it to pull yourself up from those valleys in life and to get to the top of it. And if you embrace that darkness, you know, because it you're in it, like. You're there. The only thing you can do is drink water and sleep a lot and see a therapist, get some help, get some support, you know, and (laughs) comedy helps, laughing, like just whatever you have to do. But healing and getting to the top is so worth it. Facts. I can see you made it. (laughs) I mean, you glow. You glow. And... And I don't think that you could appreciate, neither could I, like we couldn't appreciate what we have had we not been there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have, have we not experienced what we experienced? And you couldn't be the father that you are had you not experienced what you experienced. Yeah. Well, I mean, so again, the people, people learn through trauma. It's kind of the only way people learn is through trauma. And you can either learn the good lessons or the bad lessons and take that with however direction you want to carry it, you know, and, and, and it's, we have to make that choice. We all eventually have to make that choice of like where we want to be and how, and what steps we're going to take to get there. And like I said, I'm fucking glad you did. I'm seriously glad you Thank you. Did. We, we <laughs> Thank need more you of so us much. making those conscious decisions. With that note, I think uh, we got an episode. Yeah. I think we're... <laughs> I know we talked great. about a lot. Yeah, we did. We didn't even cover everything either. You're going to have to come back. We'll have to do uh, do another episode where you come back. Totally yeah. Maybe you can come down to Eugene and do one in person too. I'd be down for that. Yeah. Check out the studio. Yeah. That'd be fun. And um, you have your podcast, so if you're ever doing a game session where you want to have a trans gamer on, then, you know, I'm always game to be a guest. Yeah, of course. Awesome. Well, it was really great having you. Yeah. I'm I'm glad to be here. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Seriously. Like, it's, it's not... It's good to talk about these things. Like I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're doing what you're doing, and I thank you for allowing me to come on here and talk my bullshit. And <laughs> <laughs> no, it was awesome. You. I really, I'm really happy that you you came and shared. Yeah. Well, thank you again. I appreciate you. <laughs>